Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health, the podcast with your host, Ryan Lampers, a.k.a. The Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. Ryan is the well-rounded bearded brawn of Hunt Harvest Health. His knowledge of backcountry adventure, western hunting, and our household status as garden guru and super dad really defines our gut stealthy lifestyle. Doc Hillary is definitely the brains and beauty behind all of this. She kind of makes everything happen as I have zero technical skills. Hill is just a wealth of knowledge in all things medicine and nutrition, which not only keep our family healthy, but they help me stay strong in all my mountain adventures. You can follow us at huntharvesthealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. All right, let's do this. Okay, we are back. We are in quarantine week. I don't even know what week or day of the week it is. I don't know what's going on. Too many days. I just know that I spend a lot of time at my computer because I'm working from home. So, um, we, I don't even, I feel like there's so much we could talk about right now related to the world, but I think everybody is on information oversaturation probably. <laughs> yeah, so with, with the, with the Corona for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I also feel like people are interested in learning a few things through all this, right? Um, like on this podcast that we just did, there's things that maybe people can focus on a little bit more while they're. Mm-hmm. on lockdown such as well uh we talked i well a couple of weeks ago i'd sent an email to melissa k norris who's one of our favorites she's been on our podcast a couple times now um she probably is some of our highest downloaded podcasts for sure she i asked her if she wanted to be on the podcast and, and then um corona hit quarantine hit she lives in washington state which has absolutely gone mad and um so perfect timing to get a homesteader who she's a fifth generation homesteader who basically lives off of her land um most of the year yeah for the most part um big time into gardening and preparing food and canning and all those things that we love as well Mm -hmm. so now i think it's timely that we have melissa back on the podcast and she kind of In this podcast, she kind of goes through like entry-level things that you can do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When you're just wanting to start out and grow a garden and do all that kind of thing. And, you know, what isn't in this podcast, um, what we don't cover in this, you could definitely go onto her site and um, check out a lot more about homesteading, the homestead life and um, food prep. What is her website, Pioneering Today? Yep, yep, that's also her podcast, Pioneering Today. And we just kind of talk about getting prepared. We talk about how she prepares um, and, and what you should do. Like at this time of the year, if Corona wasn't happening, you know, what would she be doing in this time of year? And then kind of the appropriateness of the time that Corona is happening in, um, how to get supplies and get stocked up. and um, Yeah, I think when you... When you um live the lifestyle like she does like like we do um this time of year you're thinking about your garden and growing things and not a whole lot has changed because we're not really worried about where the food is uh gonna be coming from 
uh, having to go to the store. Just not really a necessary thing that we have to do during this. So I think we're, you know, lucky in that respect, whereas some people do have to continue every few days to go to the grocery store and uh, deal with that whole mess that's <laughs> that's involved with that. But um, yeah, for those that for those that want to get started, no better time than now to start growing your own. Uh, maybe think about if you're not a hunter, maybe think about taking it up or um, even if it's just small game or whatever and be a little more self-reliant, a little more self-sufficient. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the good things that's going to come out of all this crazy, crazy stuff that's going on right now, hopefully. So that's the podcast today. Mm-hmm. We are, you and I, I think this Saturday, we are actually going to be on as well. We are part of the Waypoint Collective, our podcast is. We're in a group of other podcasters who are kind of in the same genre as us. Homesteading, farming, food, hunting, fishing. I don't know. There's all kinds of podcasts on there. Um, we're going to be doing a live. If you go to Homesteady, Homesteady on YouTube... Um, they've asked us to be part of their live kind of homes, like I think they're calling it be prepared, not scared or something like that, which is pretty ingenious, uh, but they're going to do a YouTube live, I think this next Saturday. So if you want to be part of that and get notifications for that, go to their YouTube channel at home study, subscribe, and then we, we're going to be talking about ways to stay healthy uh, right now. So that's another homesteader. You suddenly become part of the homesteading clan, I guess. <laughs> the clan. They have a camel they milk. They bought a camel, and they have a camel that provides them milk. So that's one of their um, things. That, and they do rabbits and... They milk rabbits? They don't. They don't, they don't milk <laughs> rabbits. Um, but they pretty much live off their land. Uh, so... Anyways, yeah. cool. check that out. Um, and our sponsors. Yeah, let's throw some promo codes out there for folks. If they want to get a little bit of a deal and they want to help us in the, in doing so, um, Sheep Feet Outdoors, they have the insoles that I've been running. Uh, Hillary, you are now rock rocking those things too. I have been, they, and I have to say, I think they're working because I don't have as much low back pain. Yeah, they're awesome. Out. They're awesome to throw in your hunting, um, hunting boots, hiking boots. And uh, if you want to check those out, Stealthy Ten, and get ten percent off. Okay. Uh, Lono Life, probably the best bone broth um, on the market, hands down. It's clean, all grass fed. They've got chicken bone broth, beef bone broth, and a whole ton of other things. If you want to give that a shot, again, Stealthy 10, get 10% off of that. Highly recommend it. It's going to be a big staple in my pack this year for sure. Um, in fact, I just got back from a trip, and I was, I mean, I was telling you how awesome it is to have hot bone broth on mm-hmm. the mountain in those handy little packets. So, um definitely give those guys a look and then if you're looking to get some freeze-dried meals dehydrated meals look at off-grid and get 15% off on everything except for the actual dinners and then um, that code is stealthy stealthy and then Heather's Choice same thing run the code stealthy and you will get what 
Heather's Choice. Yeah, 15% off Heather's Choice, I think, as well, right? Yeah, it's 10 or 15. Something like you that. You should know that, but yeah, you can use that. Um, and then we still, I'm going to keep the Stealthy Dehydration and Canning Guide available for free. If you get on our newsletter list, if you're not already, you can get that for free. And I'm going to leave that up for one more week. And then I'm going to take it off. But a lot of people have downloaded it. So yeah, go get cool. that download because that is something to help you actually do your own stuff. And it has all Ryan's recipes, dehydration for backcountry food. Um, and unfortunately, it snowed again last night. Therefore, we won't be doing any gardening anytime soon again. Oh, we don't have... One day it's like have, 50, and the next day it's blowing cold We snow. can't put anything in the ground for oh. at least another eight weeks here, so we're yeah. we're in a different climate for sure. It's going to be a while, but that uh, the, the dehydration guide just makes you want to garden when you see all the pictures. You can always start indoors. Just get those yeah. grow lights. Well, my herbs are already coming up. I got little seedlings. I did a um, on our Instagram TV... I have a how to grow your own herbs. I show you how to plant your own little herbs and put those in there. And uh, I would upload it to YouTube, but. <laughs> we live in the sticks. Yeah, and it's it not because of work. Corona. It's because we have satellite internet. Therefore, uploading a YouTube video is very difficult when you're under quarantine and you don't go to work. <laughs> or there's good cable internet. So sorry about that, folks. All right. Um, I guess that's it. Enjoy this podcast with the Melissa K. Norris. Crazy. What are you, what are you seeing over there in uh, just the rest of the population? Like going to the store and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's been really interesting. Um, I went out last Thursday cause I had an Azure standard order that I had to go and pick up from the drop zone. And so I went and got my order and then I just stopped at a smaller grocery store to get some milk. I actually, we I take my glass bottles back. It's a local dairy that delivers to the store. And so I take my glass bottles back and to get more. And what was interesting that they had done there is they had actually placed like a plexiglass um, barrier between you and the checker. So you're face to face, but you're looking through glass, which I actually thought was really smart for the checkers that are there. You know, that's, that's where people are seeing the most amount of people coming through. Um, and then they had me bag my own groceries, which is fine. I'd already brought my own bag, not a problem. And, you know, I just had my hand sanitizer and stuff. Um, but like locally, and so that was like 40 miles in Cedarwilly away from our home. So it's like our, the neck, the, like the closest bigger town, I guess you could say. Um, and then in our little local town, unfortunately, the well, fortunately, the grocery store is still open and they've been able to keep a pretty decent stock but unfortunately, a lot of the restaurants and like the coffee shops, even though they can do pick up and drive through, um, quite a few of them are just shut down altogether. Um, they were open for a while, but they just haven't had enough business that they could stay open during this time. So that's been kind of kind of disheartening. And it's really interesting when you're when I did go out, which I'm trying not to go out very often because we can still go to the grocery stores, but we kind of have everything except milk because we don't have a milk cow. Um, but you've got kind of two groups of people. You've got the one people who are very respectful and they're keeping that distance. And you can tell that they're very cognizant of, you know, hand sanitizer and, and all of that. And then you have this other group of people who are just like no um, spatial awareness and 
they don't care if they're like right next to you or brushing up against you or anything else. So it's just been really interesting to kind of watch that. And then I had went two weeks prior, I had went to Costco and they are limiting. And so were quite a few other stores limiting how many people can go in at once. So thankfully Costco's line actually did go pretty quickly, but there's big long lines and there's markers for six feet and you're only so many people are allowed into the store. And what was interesting is my daughter was with me on this trip. And like I said, this was like two and a half weeks ago at the time of our recording this. And it was really before the full on shelter in place order had been issued. Um, they would not let her go in with me until two people had came out. So um, a gentleman was really nice. He was by himself and two people came out and he said, you can go, go ahead of me and go in with your daughter because he knew that unless... Um, another two people came in after he went out that I wouldn't be able to take her in with me. And of course I wasn't going to leave her in the car by herself. Um, so that was really interesting to just not be able to walk into a store and to be very metered on how you could go in. Wow. Yeah. It, it starts to make you think about all the things that we take for granted that we've just been doing, you know, we just have such freedom of movement and even just, getting food and all that and now you see this happening and you know there's lots of places in the world where this happens all the time you know there's not freedom of movement or freedom of just walking into a store and buying anything you want at any time and um kind of starts to make you a little bit more appreciative of what we've had but yeah it definitely does and I felt like we and you guys as well, like I know compared to average society as a whole, like we're so much more prepared. Like I don't have, I didn't have to go to the store. I mean, I wanted my fresh cream and my fresh milk. And so, you know, I went in and got that and was able to, there was the supply there, but I know there's so many people who don't have that. And, and my heart goes out to them because I feel like I have a bit of an adjustment to make, like my husband and kids are home and I didn't homeschool prior to this, et cetera. And, you know, there's a few things that we are doing differently and we're being a little bit more cognizant of, uh, of kind of how much we're using of certain things and supplies. But for people who aren't prepared, like, like us and who we have the ability, it may not be exactly what we want, but we have the ability to replenish our food with our gardens and our foraging and our hunting and or our livestock but there's so many people that don't have that in place right now. And so I can't imagine the level of stress that I have, which isn't huge, but it has put an under, I feel like an underlying level of stress that's higher than normal. I can't imagine how people who don't have what we have in place, like what they're feeling right now. Like seriously, my heart, my heart goes out to them because I know that they're really burdened right now. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess you're right for us. It was kind of like, okay, we, we took one day and we went and we got like what we think we would need, but we have, gosh, you know, we have plenty of meat. Uh, we have canned goods even from like a year or two ago. So we, you know, our, um, urgency was, was more for things like make sure we have some cat litter and dog food and, and, uh, you know, like, yeah, like the cream and um, the things the kids are going to want to snack on. And obviously, I mean, some paper products and stuff. But uh, I think about like families that have none of that stockpile, um, especially when it comes to meat. They don't have any of that. So the amount of money that they've probably had to spend 
um, to get stocked up for, well, now what, a month or even two months? It's quite stressful. Yeah, it is. And on the other hand, I feel like I feel like I'm a Pollyanna. And so I always try to look for the, the good of the silver lining. And I feel that this is really opening up a lot of people's eyes to kind of already wanted to grow a garden or wanted to become more self-sufficient or wanted, you know, to get into this lifestyle, but have been kind of putting it off for like that perfect time or someday soon. And so I feel like for those people that this has really given them that that push. And so they're not putting it off any longer. And they're really diving into this lifestyle and learning and including their kids and including their family. So I feel that a lot of good will come out of this. Um, it just is kind of like any new beginning that's kind of forced on you. Right now, it's still uncomfortable. Well, that's why we wanted to have you on the podcast, because one, you're such a great um, Pollyanna and positive and <laughs> uh you know, you know so much too about how to become sustainable because you live that lifestyle. And um, so I thought it would be fun today to just talk about maybe some of the things. I think in the past we've talked about canning, we've talked about soil, we've talked about gardening. Um, but with this event that's happened globally, um, talking to you about what you think are, for one, where should people start? If they if they wanted to grow a garden or they even had a little patch of ground or some pots or something, um, maybe talking about that a little bit for growing food, um, and then, um, you know what what right now would be on the top of your list for getting people to understand that you know this might be also you, you know wake people up um, to the fact that they need to be more part of the process. So where would you start? Where would you start with somebody who is coming to you fresh and brand new? Yeah. So first off, I would say definitely is to start a garden. And honestly, the timing of this, my husband and I were just discussing this. The timing is actually so good because for most areas of the country and especially in the Northern hemisphere of the world, even we're just entering into the beginning of the growing season. And so it's not too late to really plant anything. Um, and you're going to be able to plant a, a lot of things because you can do your cool weather crops are just starting where you can get some stuff in the ground. And then, of course, our your regular summer annual vegetable garden. Whereas if this had really happened, say, like September or October, where you would really have missed the boat to be able to grow anything because of the weather. Um, so I there's that Pollyanna part again. So I'm really happy if that's the right word that this the timing of this I feel with the seasons and the growing is really almost perfect so starting wise is you're going to want to look at places in your your backyard wherever you have even window seals if that's all you've got um, patios decks depending on where you're at um, is really start to track the sun so for most of your vegetables and a lot of even your fruits and your berries, et cetera, you need six plus hours of full sun in order for them to grow and give you a harvest. So if you're brand new and you've never grown a garden before, that might not be something that you're even used to tracking. And so 
right now. And of course, as we get further into summer, you're going to have more sunlight <laughs> um, than we do now, but just kind of start to track that. Just kind of keep a note of what areas of the yard have sun and how much they have a full sun, et cetera. And just kind of keep a little, a little bit of a log of that. And then next up is you're going to want to get your seeds as soon as possible, because just like we saw things running out of the grocery stores and this huge influx of ordering, the same thing is happening with seed companies. So you are able to sell out to grocery stores and they have seeds there. I definitely would recommend getting your seeds if you don't have them already. And if you're going to be ordering them online, I would say do so sooner rather than later, just because for seed companies, their orders, it's not like we can just all of a sudden put into a manufacturer and say, hey, I need you know 500 more of this. There's only so much stock. And of course, they can grow more this year to anticipate demand for next year. And I'm, and I'm not saying that to like make anybody panic and go do this mad rush of seeds. I'm just saying if you're planning on putting them in, don't wait to get your seeds. Go and get them ordered now. Um, secondly is obviously you're going to need some type of soil and or container. So if you're doing in-ground gardening, you've got enough of a backyard, that's great. If you're going to have to use containers, then kind of the same thing, like you really want to get your supplies now, just because there are more people than there have been and stores only have so much supplies ordered. So you're going to want to get your, your potting soil. I always go organic if I'm having to, to purchase anything um, from the store. So being it, you know, potting soil, et cetera, but I would recommend getting those. And there's so many different containers that you can use at home to grow in. Um, so kind of look around for some things like that. Like if you've got an old rusted out wheelbarrow, if you can put a drain hole in the bottom of it for a container and it's deep enough to support the roots, you can almost use anything to grow in. And so I know some people are listening like, man, I don't, I don't have a lot of money or I can't maybe get out and go get a whole stuff. Most places that are in shelter at home, essentials are considered nurseries and gardening centers, and they're still allowed to be open. Um, so for right now, we can still go to those places and get, and get things if we need to. But I would say really look at your supplies because depending upon your climate, you may not be able to even start planting quite a few things yet. Might still be a little bit too cold, but if you get all your supplies ready to set, then when it is time, you'll be ready to go. Because I have seen where a lot of companies um, are having to suspend orders because they've gotten so many that they have to get caught up or make sure they have enough supplies or they're getting sold out of things. So that's kind of my really my first step. So I, I I feel like I said a lot in there. So if there's anything that I didn't cover, uh, feel free to circle me back around. No, I think that's great. Again, going back to the idea of being prepared, right? You really can't start anything without being prepared. And obviously when you're gardening, you have to have seeds and equipment. Um, some people like where you live, you guys are blessed with amazing soil. Uh, where we live now, we basically have clay soil that we are going to be working on probably for the next decade to get to be wonderful. So we have to bring in, um, you know, fertilizer, like we just got some llama poop, uh, which is really amazing. And we're putting that in and then we, but we have to get still loads of soil to bring in to break up the clay that we have. Um, and so, I mean... <laughs> We, a, we can't plant anything right in the ground. Here well, and, and where we are, grow. our growing zone is, we're so late, you know, we, we won't be getting anything into the ground until June. Yeah. And um, there's still a threat of, like last year, we had a, had a 
frost come in and take out some things even that first week in June. So yeah, so, so much different than uh, your climate over there in Washington, which we used to enjoy. Yeah. Used to have everything in so early. But yeah, now, now we're- Yeah, I would say actually- Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was gonna say like you brought up a perfect point that I didn't even get to yet, but that's talking about when to plant and it all revolves around, like you just said, is that last average frost date in the spring when we're talking about spring and, and summer gardening, which we are right now. So many people who are especially really new to gardening and are really feeling that drive, like I need to provide food for my family, are wanting to plant everything right now. And for a lot of parts of the country, it's still too soon to plant most of those things. And so go and look up your last average frost date in the spring, your county extension office, you can Google it and you're going to get a pretty accurate within a week or so, because every year it changes depending upon the weather. Um, but go and find out what that is. Because if you try to put things in too soon, just like you were saying, you're going to lose a lot of that crop if a, if a frost comes in and, and takes it out because you planted too soon. And if seeds are at a little bit of a, you know, you might not have a lot extra, that can actually be a bigger thing, I feel like, this year um, than a lot of years prior for people. So go and find out that first, that last average frost date in the springtime, and then plan when you're putting your plants in the ground and or your seeds starting around that date. Yeah, and maybe you could also go into, you know, I know most of us like to kind of push the envelope a little bit, right? Just to kind of get that that little bit of extra time. Um, some of the things that you do, um, I'm assuming you probably run some cold frames and stuff like that to uh, kind of protect those crops as you get them in, maybe with the potential to still have a frost. Yeah, cold frames can be really great. And I actually have found that cold frames for me are easier to do in the springtime because your seeds and any of starts that you have are so smaller that you can really get away with using a lot of household items. So I like to, I actually like to do it. I find it easier to do in the springtime. Um, but I found for most cold frames, and so what I use like for some easy cold frames is anything that is clear plastic and or glass. So I've used like those big, like kind of clear storage totes, like Rubbermaid or whatever brand you may happen to have. Um, upside down, I've used wide mouth mason jars on really small little seedlings or individual plants and starts. Those ones are, are probably the easiest. And then if you've got any type of um, like large, I, we had some large clear plastic bags that I don't even remember what came in them. Um, and so we're actually using those on some lettuce because right now there are cool weather crops and there's warm weather crops. So just really quick, basic definition, your cool weather crops will withstand some light frosts and freezes and they'll still grow. And you can usually even plant them in the ground direct. So in putting the seed in when your soil temperatures are on the cooler side and they'll grow. Then you've got your warm weather crops, which are your typical things like tomatoes and peppers and summer and winter squash, et cetera, that they will not survive a frost. A frost is going to wipe out those tomatoes and peppers especially. And your soil temperature has to be usually at least 65 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, not the air temperature, the soil temperature. So outside it has to be a little bit warmer than that for the soil to get warmed up before they'll begin to germinate and grow. So right now I've got some cool weather crops that are going outside. I've got uh, lettuce, onions, broccoli, cauliflower, um, and I've got snow peas that I just planted and are beginning to sprout. 
but they will only withstand temperatures of about 28 degrees Fahrenheit. And we've had some nights where it's been about 25 degrees, so a little bit below what, what they would get go through. So we've been covering them up at night. And with those cold frames, provided that all sides of the cold frames, so all the glass or all the plastic, et cetera, actually comes down and touches the soil so that you don't have a lot of airflow and it can kind of trap that warm air in there. I found by geeking out and using thermometers and actually monitoring it that I will get for that overnight low. So in the early morning before the sun comes up, when it's kind of at its coldest, it'll buy you about five degrees warmth. So if it's 25 degrees outside, it'll be about 30 degrees Fahrenheit underneath in that cold frame. So just enough that you can keep those cold weather items still going, but not really enough that I could plant any type of warm weather crops out yet, just because it's too much of a temperature difference. Um, so expect about a five degree warmer using a cold frame, which for cold plants right now is just enough. But when it gets a little bit closer, I found that using those cold frames will allow me to put those warm weather crops in the ground, especially like tomatoes that I've started indoors and then hardened off and planted outside. Usually allows me to get them in the ground one to two weeks faster using a cold frame than if I were, you know, otherwise I'd have just have to wait a couple extra weeks. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to do it. it. It's the climate that you guys enjoy as well. You know, typically you don't have real hard freezes. So that, that five, six degree, um, difference is is the world and, and you can save those things we here unfortunately we may have you know a, a 50 degree day and then and then tomorrow we could be down to uh 20 degrees and we could <laughs> be under a foot sharply. of snow tomorrow <laughs> it could be so, yeah our cold frames don't quite help us here uh in this climate much but um what are um do, oh now, man do you do you have a hothouse? Do you have a greenhouse that you run over there on your homestead? I don't. I have a high tunnel, but it's not heated. So it's not a greenhouse. It's just a high tunnel. Um, I don't. One, we, <laughs> part of the reason I don't is because we do lose power quite frequently here. And I never wanted one, the extra expense, honestly, of heating a greenhouse. And two, I was always a little bit worried because we have frequent power outages, if that happened, then I wouldn't have a way to heat it. And it kind of, I would feel like all would be lost. So I've never done a heated greenhouse before. And I guess the good news is with the climate that I'm in, um, in Washington state up in the foothills, gardening zone seven, um, a, uh, B to be exact, or a, excuse me, a little bit colder. Um, I'm able to grow almost year round of cold weather crops, not warm weather crops and start enough indoors. Like I've got tomatoes and peppers um, and quite a few annual herbs going right now in the corner of the living room without one. How about you guys? Are you guys going to put one in? Yeah, we still have, we still have, that's our big project this year is, is getting the, the hot house in. And, you know, it, right now it's fine. We can do all our starts. We have a big basement where, we get some outdoor light, some natural light, but um, then we also run some UV lights down there to get all the starts going. Um, I, I think that's what you do as well, is, is you probably utilize the house and, uh, and get all your tomatoes and peppers and all those things going well ahead of time. I think what we yeah, I do. do is that like last summer, we had a late summer, so we had snow in June. And our first frost came in September or, you know, um, so we didn't have, 
So our, our tomatoes didn't even redden on the vine hardly and our peppers and stuff. So if we had a hothouse, we have a lot of sun here and it gets quite warm in the summer, but we need to start those much earlier and have them in an environment where they can get ready and season up because last year just didn't happen based on our short season. So the, for us, the hothouse is probably going to be the best and quickest option to get those plants in um, even before the frosts are done. Yeah, I think it's it's almost a necessary here, whereas you're right, like where you are in your zone, it's it's not necessary. It helps, I guess, but not necessary. Yeah, yeah, because like, well, you guys know, because you, you live not about an hour away from me, but that's not too far in Washington. You know, I can usually, even on a cold year, the I can usually put everything in by Memorial weekend, so the end of May. And then I, you know, am growing all the way through usually mid to end of September. Sometimes we'll have an early frost mid-September, but oftentimes if it's like an Indian summer, it's not even till the first part of October. So you guys are a lot, a lot shorter um, growing season. So if you're going to do those warm weather crops, I, I think you're right. I think you're really going to need to have a heated environment. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's in the works. It's in the plans. We've, we've got several ideas it's just one more project that we have at our. Well, now that here. we're like quarantined <laughs> and uh, we are like, hey, what can we do? Why, well, right now would be the time to, again, like you said, have those supplies. You know, I wish I had four truckloads of dirt out there and all the wood and the all the stuff to build the greenhouse and get all that going. But, you know, uh, I think it hit us all swiftly here. But, um, and those projects take time as well, um, or resources. You know, let's say we didn't have the time to build it, we were going to have it built for us. Um, that takes money and resources to have someone um, come build a greenhouse. So obviously everything happens in stages. Uh, I, I think for most people, and that's why we wanted to have this conversation is because I think, um, and Ryan and I have always differed on this and, and you might be more on Ryan's side, but I'm always like, if you're going to start something, start small and work your way up um, as you get comfortable with it. Uh, Ryan would probably say go big and, and uh, hope that uh, you, you know, and see what, see what you're good at or not. But well, my, I think my opinion is like when you're first starting out a garden, um, going small and just putting like, you know, maybe a few buckets out and a little bit of lettuce. That's that's fine, and that's that's a great way to start. But um, you're not getting a, as much knowledge as if you say maybe put a dozen different crops in the ground and, and play with your soil and get some more notes taken by going a little bit bigger and cut that learning curve a little bit. If you go too small, I just feel like you're you're kind of burning up a year. And, and um, so yeah, I I say experiment. Uh, on the um, extreme side versus the lighter side, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> I think I kind of be in the middle there because I think in a typical year, if you if you've never gardened before, and all of a sudden you put in like a thirty by twenty foot garden space, yeah. and you just jam pack it because we all kind of get excited at the seed stage or the seedling stage, like everything's small and you're so excited and you're hyped up and you just want to put it all in. At least that's how I tend to roll. And then when harvest time comes on and the weeding and all the care and these plants get bigger, um, people oftentimes can 
feel a little bit overwhelmed or they realize like, oh my gosh, I planted way too much of this. I should have planted more of that. And kind of like you said, Ryan, there's a learning curve there and some of it you're not going to know until you do it. And then every year your garden becomes better and better. But on the, on the flip side, um, especially going into this year, which is so much unknowns. I mean, none of us know any, we don't, we have no idea what's going to happen with this. I mean, I hope that, you know, things go back to, to relatively normal and all of that, but we don't really know. So I feel like this would be the year that I would maybe say put in more than I would maybe have advised somebody in the past. Um, because if you have excess, then that's awesome. You can gift it to neighbors or family and friends um, or you may have need of it and then you'll have it. So I feel like my advice is a little bit different this year than it would be um, in kind of normal years. But going back to that is I always advise people to look at what it is your family likes to eat on a really consistent basis and to plant what you eat and to eat what you plant, which is really, you'll hear that from a lot of different gardeners will tell you that. Um, but the second thing, because we've been talking actually quite a bit about climate and using either some heat or seed starting and high tunnels, et cetera, to kind of extend your growing season and manipulate it a little bit so that you can grow more food. And that is to really look at your climate. And especially if this is your first year or you think you are honestly going to be relying on the food that you're planting is look at what grows naturally fairly easy in your climate. So because you guys are even in a cooler climate and um, north, northern speaking colder climate than I am, um, we're talking about having to really get crops of like tomatoes and peppers. We, I, have, I have to start mine indoors. You guys have to start yours indoors, maybe require the, the use of heat. But there's so many things in those cold weather crops, even throughout the summer months, that then we are able to grow. So I say that to look at what grows naturally or easy in the climate that you have, focus on what you like to eat out of those crops and plan on putting more in of those crops that aren't going to require you to baby or have a lot of extra equipment to get them to grow well for you and focus on those this year. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think I think we've all made the mistake of, um, you know, when we're first starting out, just getting as many seeds as possible and probably going a little bit overboard on some things that you're like, it's never really been a staple in your diet. And um, over time, you realize, man, I just don't eat that many beans. I don't need two long rows taking up my garden space with, with beans that we just will never eat. So um, I think taking good notes and Figuring out and just understanding what uh, what your family is actually gonna going to um, utilize and uh, doesn't take up you know valuable space in your garden is pretty important. But um, I think like all of us, over time you just figure out what what you want the most of. And you know, I know you do a lot of um, you know preservation and, and canning and um, tomato sauces and all those type things and those are kind of like the high priority for us because I like to get, you know, I like to, I like to can as well. And I like to get those sauces that are just loaded with, you know, onions, and peppers and, and um, you know, all the paste tomatoes. And so those are kind of a priority because there's such a good benefit to having that stuff in the off season versus, um, you know, we'll pick on lettuce throughout the summer, but uh, man, what excites me is those canned goods that uh, kind of, you know, get you in and through the winter time. So I like to go all out on, you know, even kale, which goes into our, um, 
you know, tomato sauces and stuff like that. Those type things that we can build and, and preserve and uh, feed on in the winter is, is some of my favorites. And that's kind of what I focus on. Yeah, same here. I focus on a lot of those, uh, for me, like there's staple crops, but they're the staple items that I cook with. So just like you said, like the paste tomatoes are definitely a biggie for us because you can turn tomato sauce into so many different things. It becomes, you know, your pizza sauce, your spaghetti sauce, your pasta sauce. Um, I turn it into easy. I just simmer it down a little bit thicker and then use it for my, you know, condensed tomato soup because I don't ever buy that from the store. Uh, your ketchup, um, you know, using it in the base of a lot of soups and chilies or just mixing it with some homemade broth and making a really quick tomato soup for lunch and just maybe throwing in a, a little bit of like basil salts. I love to preserve my fresh basil. I use a salt method um, and tossing that in and it's just like, oh my goodness, it, it tastes like summer, but it's in the middle of winter. So I, those are things um and like tomato or excuse me tomatoes already said but like onions I don't know about you guys but I pretty much use an onion maybe not a whole onion but I use onions pretty much daily yeah I agree there's so many things you can do with them um they go in your scrambles in the morning and gosh they're just almost almost every meal and um yeah they just go with so much and what we like to do with them as well is dehydrate them uh, for those that haven't tried dehydrated onions, they may sound nasty, but they're actually really, really good, especially if you're using more of a sweet variety. So, yeah, I'm on your side on that. Yeah, at one one word of advice: if you're dehydrating onions, you may want to dehydrate them outside, or if you've got like you know a garage or a room that's not directly in the house, unless you love and adore the smell of onions, then go ahead and dehydrate them right in the kitchen. <laughs> advice, great advice, actually. <laughs> for sure but um so what Melissa I know uh you you got I don't know how many different varieties or different um you know vegetables that you grow in your garden but what are some of like for the beginner what are some of the easy ones to start with and uh any tips on how to start what to start um things of that nature yeah, you know, I honestly feel like one of the easiest things to start with is going to be anything in the pea or the bean family because one, you can just direct sow them. So you don't have to worry about starting them indoors or anything like that. Um, snow peas, you can actually direct sow um, about four to six weeks before that last average frost date in the spring. So I just got mine direct sown and they're just beginning to come up right now in my last average frost dates, usually between the, the mid to end of April, um, just for reference there. Now your beans, those you want to direct. So peas and beans, neither one of them, I don't ever recommend starting them indoors just because they don't like their roots to be messed with. And even with those shorter growing seasons, you're usually going to be able to direct sow them and they still have enough time for you to get a harvest off of them. Um, but your beans are warm weather crop. And you can do both a green bean and a shelled bean. So your shelled bean is what you're when you're buying dried beans from the store. So pinto and kidney and and great northern white and all of those. Those are a shelled bean. And then of course you have your green beans, which we're all pretty familiar with our green beans. But both of those types, both those varieties, you're going to want to direct. So usually it's two to three weeks after your last average frost date. You want soil temperatures to be about 65 degrees Fahrenheit and or warmer. All danger of frost has passed. Um, but you can just direct sow them in the ground and 
I like to soak mine in just room temperature water for either eight hours or even four hours, like the night before, if I'm going to plant in the morning or for planting later in the day, I just start them in the morning. Um, and that just helps get them to sprout faster. The only time I don't recommend that is if you know, watch the weather forecast. And if there's a quite a bit of rain coming, then I don't soak mine because I don't want them to rot in the ground. So if it's going to be dry for a few days, soak them. If you're going to have rain coming right after you plant them, then don't. Um, but it can really jumpstart that germination period and get them to grow um, sometimes up to uh, almost a week faster. They'll sprout. But I recommend growing those because they're so easy. They provide a lot per plant. So unlike beets, which I love, you plant one beet, you're getting some beet grains, but you're only getting one beet. But in the same amount of space, if you plant some bean plants, you're going to be getting a lot of beans off of one plant. You definitely need more than one plant for a family. Um, so if you're cramped for space and you're wanting to make sure you get a lot of harvest, I definitely recommend doing beans and pole beans over bush beans because a pole bean per plant versus a bush bean per plant, you'll get more pounds, you'll get a larger harvest yield off of a pole version uh, than you will a bush version. So I think those are really easy, easy ones to start with. They're self-pollinating, so you don't have to worry about any type of uh, pollination um, issues with having, you know, enough, enough bees, which I love the bees, but sometimes depending on, on where you live, especially if you're in a more urban environment and there's not a lot of bees out, um, then you don't have to worry about that because they will pollinate themselves. Mm. Cool. Yeah. And I think peas, at least in our family, peas are one of the favorite vegetables by the kids. Yeah, especially if you <laughs> So the kids will eat them them. and you know, they're fun to have the kids plant them as well and then watch them grow and then eat off of them. It's kind of been our experience with peas. Yeah, I think I think for the kiddos, like for whatever reason, I don't I don't quite get why they love kohlrabi so much. I love kohlrabi, but I don't know that a lot of kids do. Maybe I'm wrong, but our girls just love kohlrabi and they love they love peas, just going out and snapping those things out of the garden. And of course like strawberries and things like that. But those are some of the easy ones. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know. Have you guys, I noticed this with my kids when the kids get out there and they actually are kind of helping with the garden, like the planting and yeah, make it a family affair. I mean, especially with the shelter and home, like you probably are needing some things to do. Um, <laughs> and so it's great to get the kids involved. And my kids tend to be more willing to eat their vegetables when they've had a hand in growing it than if it's just something we've Crab from the grocery store. Have you? I don't know. Have you guys experienced that too? Oh yeah. We honestly, this time of year, um, we don't have a ton of vegetables floating around. So, you know, we'll get some fresh veggies from the store once in a while, and some frozen. But we don't have a ton of vegetables this time of year, so we don't eat as much. We may be eating soups and maybe some salads here and there. But summer comes, and like this time of year, getting my kids to eat vegetables is really hard. But summer comes. And they can just go pick a carrot or pick a pea or we eat kohlrabi or a tomato out of the garden, a strawberry. It's like no problem. They'll just sit out there and eat kale. Our younger one will just eat kale right out of the box. But it's harder to get them to eat kale like in the middle of winter when they don't really have any relationship to it. So it's definitely easier. Yeah. And I think... I think they notice the flavor difference, honestly, because mm -hmm. the homegrown 
at least for us, like it always, it just has more flavor when it's grown at home and you're getting it right, you know, at its perfect prime peak of ripeness, it just tastes better. <laughs> oh yeah. Like there's no contest, especially if there's certain things like, um, like carrots, for example, there's nothing, I don't know. There's just nothing like a fresh carrot out of the garden versus one that you bought in the store. And same, same goes with tomatoes. It's just so night and day the flavor profile of what you pull out of your garden versus the other. It's, it's not even close, but uh, yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things now I know we've talked about soil in the past, but uh, would you mind giving any pointers to folks who are um, just wanting to get going some things that they can do uh, as far as uh, what types of soils uh, to start with, as well as how to, you know, build your soils up, things that you can add to your soils you might want to um, during the process of while it's growing, things, things like that. What would be your recommendations? Yeah, so depending on, you know, what, what you have access to, I, if possible, I would recommend getting a soil test done. Now, for most people in the United States, your local county extension office, if it's in operation at this time, let me preface with that, uh, we'll do a soil test for either free or really nominal, like five bucks or less. Like most of them will do it really cheap. And if you can do that, it is the best because it's just going to tell you exactly what you're, what you've got in your soil. And then that way you're not wasting time and or resources trying to fix levels that don't need to be fixed or you'll know the exact way that you need to. So when we're looking at our soil, you've got your pH level. So for your annual vegetable garden, for most of your vegetables, you really want that pH level to be between a 6.0 and a 7.0. Um, when you go below that 6 point, you start to get more acidic, which is good for um, a lot of your fruits, like your blueberries, uh, rhubarb, for example, likes really acidic soil. But just for kind of straight across the board for your vegetables, that's where you want it to be. Um, and then we really need your nitrogen because most of our plant, all plants require, require nitrogen, but a lot of our vegetables in the vegetable garden are pretty heavy nitrogen feeders. And so if you can have a soil test done, then you're going to know if your nitrogen level is where it needs to be or not. But I know during this time, a lot of people are like, I don't have time to do a soil test. I don't have the resources to do a soil test, et cetera. So across the board, you cannot go wrong with adding good compost to your garden soil. So you can make your own compost at home. If you're going to purchase compost, I would look for an organic source. Um, just That's just my personal preference, especially for the crops that we're eating. Like of our vegetables, we go all organic. Um, or manure, like you guys were saying, you had alpaca. So, and you can ask, you know, if you've got neighbors or people who have got livestock, they've probably got an excess of manure and you can get it from them. But if you're going to be adding manure to your garden, unless it is rabbit manure, which doesn't have to break down because it's not hot, you are going to want to, especially chicken manure um, or manure from cattle. You want to make sure that it is either already composted down, meaning it's been sitting with some straw and wood chips and other items so it's not too hot. Because if you put it on fresh, 
you're going to likely burn the roots of your plants because it's going to have too much nitrogen. So I know a lot of times people are really excited to get manure and they don't realize that and they put it on their garden and then all of their plants begin to die <laughs> uh, right away. And it, it, that's why it just didn't have time to age down. So I would say for, if you're just starting out, get some compost. You can buy bagged compost um, and still get organic from a lot of different gardening centers. You can even order it online. Honestly, Amazon has it um, and mix that in if you're not able to get a test and I, you can never go wrong with adding in good compost. Um, and then just pay attention to your soil. So like you guys are experiencing clay soil, which is really hard. It's really compact. Um, oftentimes it can be waterlogged or have drainage issues. So just continually adding in like good organic matter and compost, like you guys were talking about, you're going to be adding in, you know, manure and shredded leaves and different things like that. So that it begins to, to break, to break down, um, is always a good route. If you've got really sandy soil, it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, water is going to drain through, through that really, really fast. And it's going to hard, have a hard time holding water. Um, and water drains so fast with sandy soil, it's often hard for plants not only to stay hydrated, but also to get nutrients. So it's kind of the, the same thing, even though you've got your clay soil and your sandy soil and they're opposite ends of the spectrum, you're going to want to incorporate in that sandy soil a lot of really good organic uh, material, which is going to be the same thing, composted down manure and compost and leaves and mulch and letting that all break down to become really nice uh, loamy soil. So the answer to kind of both of them is the same, um, but it is going to be an investment of time to so, to get that soil built up to where it's really good. So a lot of people, if possible, like I know you guys were talking about having loads of some different compost or topsoil perhaps brought in, that's a lot of people will do raised beds on that top of soil and bring in dirt so that they've got um, some really nice soil right away and can start growing. And then over time, as they continually add to those raised beds, that good stuff, um, it will continue to break down and just increase the, the health of the soil. Yeah, that's, and that's where we are here. Um, like he'll mention, you know, when you have just a clay bed underneath where you want your garden, uh, you, you kind of want to go with the raised bed and, and, you know, we brought soil in and then we continue to kind of build on it and feed it organic matter and straw. And um, I like what you said about uh, explaining, you know, there's hot, hot mer uh, manures out there that you don't want to just put into your garden. I know a lot of people have made that mistake. They'll just take maybe some fresh chicken manure and they'll just put it in their garden. And, um, and that's just not something that, uh, it's not, it doesn't work. Whereas like you'd mentioned rabbits, um, you know, that manure you can just kind of put straight in, which is uh, very similar to llama or alpaca uh, manure as well. You can go straight in with it without having to compost it down, um, which is really nice, which is why I'm leaning towards that these days versus um, other type manures. And, and it, it's interesting, one of the things that I hadn't thought of is how quickly things break down, like back in Washington, like in your climate, you know, with all the weather and the humidity and the moisture and the rain, um, you know, manures and the compost pile, everything got broken down fairly quickly. You know, over a winter, um, all of the chicken manure, you know, it was good. Worms were starting to come back into it and you knew you had, you know, a good uh, fertilizer to put back into your, to your garden. Uh, where we are now, though, it's very, it's, it's very dry. There's no, no moisture. And so things just don't break down. Um, so the chicken manure pile, uh, without 
you know, actually watering it down yourself or soaking it um, constantly to try to get that um, to, uh, to break down and compost. It really just doesn't break down. It takes so long here for things to rot. Um, you know, back in Washington, I could put some straw on my, on my garden boxes and, you know, over the winter, they would just kind of decompose into the garden um, soil. That just doesn't happen here in this dry climate. It's very different. It's something I hadn't thought of prior to, to moving here. So, Yeah, it's so interesting how each, each climate really does have its pros and cons because sometimes the rot here, <laughs> sometimes it's a frustration, but um, it definitely is beneficial because you don't have to water everything nearly as much, like you said. And one thing I wanted to, to point out too about the manure um, when you're putting down the manure, either, you know, the, the, if it's composted down to where you can't actually see anything anymore, that's the kind of the sign that compost is finished when you can't recognize any of the individual components that you put in it. It all looks like it's broken down and it's just like this great, wonderful black dirt type thing. But if you are using like rabbit manure or you're putting in some composted down different manures like that, kind of the rule of thumb is um, for harvest, because manure, even if it has been composted down or it's not hot, can still have, um, you know, pathogens in it. It's poop. <laughs> so kind of the general rule of thumb is 90 days for above ground crops um, and then 120 days for root crops. So for, you know, example, if you're mixing that alpaca manure in right now, you know, in and, and 90 days from now, you still would rinse your food. I mean, even from my garden, oftentimes I'm going to, you know, rinse the, the dirt off of it before I eat it, et cetera. Um, but 90 days from now, then you would be like, oh, you know, you really wouldn't worry a whole lot about anything being in it when you're harvesting. So there's just kind of some, some general rules of thumb, but the good news is, I mean, like most things, like if you put manure down now, most crops aren't going to be ready to harvest anyways. Um, if they're above, above ground crops until, 90 days. I mean, like tomatoes are like 120 days, usually, and even most of your squash and stuff are at least 65 days plus. So for most part, if you're putting it down now, by the time that those items are ready to harvest, you'll already be kind of be past uh, that 90 day mark. Now, do you, um, Melissa, do you use like, do you use worm castings or do you make any teas or anything like that that you utilize um, throughout the garden season? This is a great question. So I haven't done, I don't have a worm bin or a vera compost. I have just two regular big, large compost piles. So I do have worms in my garden, but they're not an actual worm castings, vera compost uh, system. And then I don't use teas. Actually, when I was writing my book, The Family Garden Plan, and was really digging into a lot of the research, because a lot of the things they've done in, you know, you do in your garden, you just, you do, you know, you've learned from other people or you've just have noticed by trial and error over the years, like, man, things just do a lot better when I do this, et cetera, kind of, you know, handed down word of mouth. But when I was writing the book, um, especially doing like the companion planting, a lot of things, like I was really looking for some scientific data or some different studies that had been done, which was fascinating. But I got into some different studies done on manure tea. And it's so funny with gardening. I'm always surprised at where people will draw a line in the sand and like they are very adamant about something. And so a lot of people swear by doing manure tea. But when I was really going through the research done by some different universities and that type of thing. Um, as far as actually getting the, the nutrients from the manure, either in a composted down format or in a tea format, it's a, there was no added benefit to doing 
the T. Now, if you just like to do the work of the T and you want to do that, then that's awesome. But the same amount of nutrients were given to the plants by just having it being normally composted down and putting that on top, you know, into your soil as versus doing the manure tea and, and watering with that manure tea. So I don't, because honestly, like I'm a lazy gardener. If I can get the same results without extra work, then that's what I'm going to do. And I consider the manure tea to be more work. So I don't do it. <laughs> so, but if you, if you love it, like, I know I'm going to get some pushback on this. If you love it and you swear by it and you have awesome results, keep doing it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. No, it's uh, I do like to make them on occasion. Um, sometimes I'll, you know, we used to have like worm farms, farms galore um, in my prior business. So we used to have uh, castings and I would just make casting tea and whatnot. And obviously the garden was always loaded with worm castings, but uh, you know, it was always kind of fun to build a batch of tea and then, you know, spray the foliage with it and uh, just kind of feed, feed throughout, you know, a couple of times throughout the growing season in the summer. But uh, it's interesting that you, you did the research and found that there's not a real added benefit and you could have just basically mulched that into, uh, you know, the soil, at the base of the roots there and probably had the same effect. Yeah, yeah, that's what the that's what the the studies that that I was able to find um that's what they indicated. So, yeah, but you know, there's some things there's some things like if you enjoy doing it, then I say go for it. That's kind of the beauty of your garden too. Like it really is your own your own landscape and your own painting and you can use whatever brush strokes you want. So, is your book out now? Melissa? Yeah, yeah, it released in January, um, which who would have known? I mean, a part of me, a little bit of me is humbled as I look back because it's the family garden plan, how to grow a year's worth of healthy and sustainable food. And right now with everything that's going on, I'm like, oh my goodness, like the like we had already wrote it, it had already been released, et cetera. But the, the timing of people needing the information has never been more needed than right now. Um, so it's been kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of been humbling because I've had so many people reach out and said, you know, I am so thank you so much, you know, for this book, like this information, like we're really relying on this. And I just feel so happy that I've got this information that's walking us through everything. And so as an author, it's like, it's a, it's a really cool and humbling experience all at once that I haven't experienced with some of my other books um, just because of the way things have happened right now. But I did want to say too, we were talking earlier about, you know, how much to plant and how sometimes you can overplant of things or underplant of things, et cetera. And one of the really cool things that my publisher is doing is there's charts in the book. And one of the charts is um, how much to plant per person for a year's worth of food. And it includes your fruits and your berries, as well as all of your vegetables. And they're allowing me to give that to people for free right now, which is really cool. So do you guys mind if I share that URL? Is that okay? Sure. So if you go to familygardenplan.com, you'll see a, a spot. You just pop in your email and then my publisher is letting me take them. They're straight from the book. So the chart straight from the books. Um, and you'll have a worksheet that will help you go through what your family eats on a consistent basis, like we were kind of talking earlier, um, and then apply that. And then you get the chart. And so it'll walk you through so that you know how much to plant of that if you wanted to have a full year's worth of that item um, per person to grow that at home. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> no, I, I like, uh, you know, I like 
initially in our conversation, you started out with, uh, you know, on basically the op optimistic side of all this, you know, nonsense that's going on right now. I think it is a perfect time for people to, you know, learn not only just gardening, but, you know, some of the other things that, that we all can do, um, you know, health wise, community wise, uh, eating clean, getting our exercise, hunting, even all these type things that, um, you know, some folks have been doing for a while or, you know, I think they're being seen in a little bit different light now, like there's some actual value to it. So I think, uh, you know, pe people paying attention to what you do and you've been doing this homestead lifestyle for your entire life. Um, I don't remember what generation you said you are, but um, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people are kind of, uh, kind of looking at what you're doing and how you've done this. And I think that book is, is perfect on how to grow a year's worth of food. It's just, you're right. It's just like the most perfect timing to uh, have that information out to people. Yeah, thank you. A fifth generation homesteader. So <laughs> because you brought it up, I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's, it's really awesome just to see like you guys, I mean, you guys have been, you know, living this lifestyle and sharing. And I'm also hearing from so many people that are like, you know, a lot of people used to, you know, kind of tease me about, you know, canning and gardening and putting up all the food that I did, but now they're asking me for help on how to do it. And so I think another thing that I'm really seeing that's, that's pretty awesome is so many of us who are living this lifestyle are now able to turn to people who before maybe really weren't that interested, but now they are really interested. And so we're able to just turn to them and say, yeah, like, let, let me help you. Let me show you. So I think even though we're still doing, you know, the social distancing and the stay at home, et cetera, with the wonderfulness that, of the internet and the technology that we have right now, we're able, and not just me, I mean, even, you know, you might have a, a friend that, you know, is, has done this, um, and you can, you know, even reach out to them, especially if they live in a, in your area. And so they kind of know the growing zone already. And you can be like, you know, ask them, when do you to plant this? Like, when am I, you know, when should I plant this? Or where can I go locally to get some of these supplies? Um, and so we can all help one another, which is, no, it's really cool. And it just helps make this all a little bit um, easier and a little bit more bearable and the ability to see more good in it. Yeah. And I think I just did a podcast on stress and fear you know, which I think is a, is a huge topic right now, because you have people that are possibly, you know, are losing their jobs and losing money and, and business owners who, you know, can't pay their employees and having to lay people off and, and the stress of thinking that if you were to go out in public, you know, you're going to get this, this condition. And I think that just just learning more about how you can be self-sufficient and stay healthier through this type of lifestyle, not just something that you do, you know, growing a garden is like, it's not like you plant seeds today and you have a garden tomorrow. This is all about patience really and learning, but if it can bring people back to that idea of being more patient, but the yields at the end are so much greater. Um, I think it's also helps with your stress level you know, there's definitely science out there about gardening and being in the dirt for your stress and helping your brain calm down and, and then quitting all the, the negative, you know, really decreasing negative thinking and negative thoughts and, and helping people to, to find something that, that de-stresses them, especially in a time like this, um, 
when things change so drastically. Yeah, there's actually a study. I don't remember who did the study, so I can't unfortunately quote it off the top of my head. But there are studies that show there's actual microbes in the soil that work as antidepressants. So a lot of times people have, I mean, I've felt it, I'm sure you have, and you've heard lots of people say that gardening is like their therapy and it definitely helps. But like you said, on the scientific aspect, there's actual scientific data that show there's specific microbes in the soil. So when our you know, skin comes in contact with that and stuff that actually helps as a mood elevator. And I think too, when you're gardening and growing your food, especially in, in this time where even myself being prepared, I feel a different under level laying of stress right now. Um, but I have a, I have a plant, like I'm taking action and I'm doing something that I know is going to provide for my family. And that in itself also helps take that anxiety level back down. So yeah, I think gardening is a win-win, like on so many levels, like just like you're sharing, even on the mental health aspect. Yeah, and I think too, you you know, in the whole in the whole healthosphere and in the diet sphere, we've seen so much in the last, well, probably forever, but you know, the whole thing like diet, it's like keto diet and paleo diet and the low fat and the low carb and all the different types of diets that people are constantly doing now and gluten-free and all this stuff. And it seems like all of a sudden people are starting to go, okay, well, how do I make bread? You know, they're starting to think about things that maybe (laughs) they were like, oh, I don't know if I want bread, I can go buy it, but I'm gluten-free. So I don't eat bread because bread's not good for you. And now I'm getting questions like, if I post anything about like sourdough, I get questions like, how do you make sourdough? Whereas, you know, before it was like, oh, you're, you're, you're doing, I don't eat that because I don't eat gluten or, you know, whatever. And now it seems like people, I think if I started talking about making my own butter, I mean, probably people would be like, oh my gosh, how do I make butter? You know, people are thinking now, like, I really need to think about more that maybe the basics of food instead of like, oh, I'm on this special diet and I can't eat that. I can't do that because you have the luxury of being able to just go to the grocery store and buy whatever you want. Whereas now it may become like meat and making your sourdough bread and growing your, you know, vegetables in the garden is like how our ancestors lived. People are starting to think like that again. Yeah. No, it's been crazy, Hillary. Like my I have a, a free video series that teaches people how to make sourdough because a lot of places were sold out of yeast. So people were turning, needing to learn how to do sourdough just because they honest, they could not buy yeast from the store right now. They were sold out. And then I have any of my posts that are like how to make homemade crackers, how to make homemade bread. In the past week and a half, it has tripled the amount of people visiting those particular posts. So yeah, people are really looking to make, like you said, these basic things and realizing like even with the yeast, they might want to make regular homemade bread, but they can't even get that basic ingredient of the yeast. So how do they do it? And so they are turning towards the sourdough, which is the the original yeast, <laughs> the original leavening um, that we used. And it's the, the great thing about that, like you said, is sourdough is that cu- the culture that helps to break down the things so that we can digest it. And it's going to improve our health and gut digestion all the way around. So it, it's kind of a win-win. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are, are turning back towards it. Yeah, it takes you back to the whole thing of patience too, right? Because sourdough, you can't 
I mean, you could have sourdough in a couple of days or a week, but like, you can't just decide tonight you want sourdough and make sourdough bread tomorrow. Um, you have to be patient. And so what, it, it's kind of funny. It's like every, every day they're like, okay, you're going to be in quarantine for a week. And now you're going to be in quarantine for two weeks. Now you're going to be in quarantine for a month. So it's kind of this idea of like, all right, well, we're going to be here a while. And if you can get people to slow down and calm down, the thought of making sourdough actually seems interesting. Instead of before, it was like, why would I do that? I just go to the store and buy sourdough bread. You know, now it's like you have the time. You're going to have a week or two. You might as well learn to make some when, sourdough. And I think what's good about it is, uh, you know, once people start diving into this world, whether it's whether it's even just hunting for their own food, whether it's just the garden or, or, you know, yeah, making your own bread. And once you start diving into it, you kind of get sucked in, like you get a, this addiction um, and you want to start canning food and preserving and dehydrating and all these things. There's just something really satisfying about um, you doing the work, start to finish on, on what you eat, you know, and what the family eats. So um, it's pretty cool to see people turning to this a little bit more. Some somewhere, I mean, this is how we we got to be where we are, but somewhere we kind of lost it, and now it it feels like we've turned a corner and people are wanting to get back to it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And like you said, they they have the need, and we also have the time now. Um, and a lot of people with the sourdough has been really fun. I've been getting a lot of tags like on Instagram and stuff of stories and, you know, they've got the kids involved. And so the kids are excited to to check for bubbles and to feed it. And is it ready so that we can do this with it and, and all of that. And again, it's, it's kind of bringing this whole thing. I feel like is also bringing families back together again um, in a way that maybe prior to this we didn't have this opportunity to do as many things together and now we definitely have that opportunity um so it's kind of fun to see that happen too yeah well dear and we've been on here for about an hour now which seems crazy uh, <laughs> uh is everybody healthy in your family everybody's doing good yeah, yeah, we're all we're all doing good. Um, you know, we've been making sure uh that we're, you know, just daily taking our elderberry syrup and uh we've actually been doing because my kids are all homeschooled now and my husband's job is considered non-essential, so he's been home too. So we're having a daily PE together as a family. <laughs> so I actually feel like in some ways we probably are healthier right now than we were maybe even beforehand so so it yeah it's good how about you guys yeah we are all healthy the kids have been home now for two weeks um uh i i'm working from home doing um what's it called tele telemedicine um but yeah we are all we're spending a lot more time together. I'm trying to get the girls. We go for a walk every day because we live out in a really nice area where we can walk. And then we uh, we did some yoga the other night. We watched a YouTube video. We all did some yoga before bed. And, you know, it is hard because when uh, they have these days, it's like they finish their schoolwork. And then, you know, kids nowadays, is like they want to be on devices and stuff, right? So it's like trying to find things to keep everybody um busy and moving so you're not just sitting around 
not doing anything. We purged all the closets yesterday. We still have a few more to do, but we, 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 uh, we purged things. We went through clothes. We changed things up. Ryan cleaned the garage. So actually I feel like it's a good time for, to get those things done. You just, uh, you just keep putting off because you don't have the time to do it. And you're not driving anywhere. You're not commuting or driving. It's, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. There's been some definite things. I'm like, oh, I kind of, I kind of like this. Um, and we went yesterday, still a little bit cold. We didn't find too many of them, but we went foraging for morels yesterday. So that was a, that was a good uh, way to provide food and also get out of the house and get some movement in. I would say if you're looking to learn how to do sourdough, um, including gluten-free sourdough, because I know we were talking about gluten-free and there are folks that, um, you know, definitely have to be gluten-free and sometimes it's harder for them to find resources. So I have a full free sourdough video series that walks you through how to do regular sourdough starter, which is, you know, whatever flour you've got on hand, ancient grain, as well as gluten-free. And so you can go to melissakinoris.com forward slash learn sourdough and get access to four videos, including uh, recipes and everything that walks you through all the steps of getting that sourdough starter up and up and running. So for people who are wanting to dive into that, and then just my website, moleskinwars.com, I have a ton of free, you know, tutorials and recipes on gardening, as well as doing like no need artisan bread and homemade crackers and all of that. So um, all of those are just free resources that people can go and grab and put to use right away. And then the gardening charts for free at familygardenplan.com. All right, dear. Well, we'll let you go. And we appreciate um, everything you're doing to help humanity and to help people become more self-sustainable. And um, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye. Melissa. Bye.